Chingila Yumom Chingiwala to our podcast series Custodial Care. My name is Eleanor Bancroft. I'm a proud Bundjalung woman with blood ties to Scotland and Poland, speaking to you from Bundjalung country. And my name is Kiralee Dawn and I am a proud Barkindji woman also living here on Bundjalung country. And we are presenting conversations about custodial care. This season we are focusing on the 2022 floods of Lismore. And these are the stories of the Koorimau Flood Hub and the volunteers who help support and rebuild our community. Welcome to another episode of Custodial Care. My name is Kiralee Dawn and in today's episode I am sitting with Chelsea and Izzy who are part of the Koori Kitchen here to tell their stories. Thank you both for coming. Um, would you like to introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, I'm Izzy Walton. I am South Sea Islander girl. I've uh, been living in Australia for a very long time and um, probably in Bundjalung country for five years. Prior to that in um, Minjin in Brisbane. Um, I'm Chelsea Clayton and I was born in the UK but brought up in Australia. Um, I've lived in the Northern Rivers area for, oh gosh, well over 20 years now. So, so here is home. Here we are. Here we are. So let's go back a year and a half ago now to when the floods first happened here in Lismore. I'm wondering if you can tell us how did you get involved with the Koori Mail? What happened for you right after the floods happened? How did you end up here? Oh, um, I came down... As soon as I'd been helping friends after the Mullum and the and the New Brighton floods had occurred, and then heard some friends had come down here to help out at the Koori Mao. So I said, "Oh, I'm not working. I'll come down. I'd love to help." Um, and arrived pretty much. I think it must have been that first um, week after the flood, and then called Izzy <laughs> and said. You've got to come down here. <laughs> this is massive. There's so many people that need feeding. It's huge. It was bigger than I had ever anticipated um, and thought I was coming for a day or so of volunteering and realised um, there was such a need and I didn't realise how bad Lismore actually was, to be honest. It was it was pretty um, confronting and and full on at the time, as you know. Really sad. Um, Chelsea actually, yeah, she she did. She called me and said, "You've got to get down here, ASAP." And and I think, yeah, you don't realise until you're actually driving, because we're both out of this catchment, um, and you're kind of going through all the small little towns and just going, yeah, the devastation was just inconceivable, really. Oh, yeah. And then when you kind of got to Curry Mail which was this hub of activity, you know, I think it really, I don't know, brought something in both of us where yeah. we're just like, okay, this is where we're meant to be. Yeah, definitely. Whatever it is we're doing. She's a producer. I'm a chef. That's a good show. <laughs> producer <laughs> is a chef. <laughs> we were just like, right, well, we, you know, 
let's just put our skills together and yeah, it kind of went from there. But no, she did say, bring a pot of dal. <laughs> it was ve still very rustic back then, food wise, you know, it was still very early, early. Yeah. yeah. Everyone was just trying to get, drop food off. Yeah. What did it look like early on for you? What did you notice about feeding people? What was happening? Because I, I feel like that first week it was still trestle tables and it was, burners yeah. and big pots of whatever we could cook. Yeah, it was. It was very much, um, I remember the, as soon as they would put food up onto the burners, it would just be gone in two seconds. So there were just queues and queues, like a sea of people just waiting for food. Um, and then it just... You could just see the the sadness, obviously, people showing up. They've been cleaning their houses all day. They're covered in mud. Um, a lot of them would burst into tears because they couldn't believe that they were getting given a meal and they hadn't eaten. A lot of them oh, had yeah. forgotten to eat. So that was, um, that was pretty, that was, it was a, it was an experience that I guess when you're able to, um, nurture someone in that way when you know that they've been so, um, you know, their world's been torn apart. That was what I think drew both of us in to say, we need to stay down here and help because, um, seeing the families that were here in the community and the way everyone banded together to help, including outsiders as well. It was just such a brilliant, um, it was a brilliant thing. It was magic to be part yeah. of, wasn't it? And that, I, I always told people that even in that early, early stages, when it was trestle tables and just like someone dropping off, you know, a pot of something, is that a lot of the time it was the people external to Lismore who really kind of came down in droves mm. with food, you know, driving from everywhere, Gold Coast, We even had Brisbane. Vietnamese from Sydney, Cabramatta. Yeah. People just drove um, to to come and help feed people. And I think at that time that's what the community needed because no one in community could actually cook. Yeah, this is the thing, right? right. When everyone's homes have been devastated like this, there's there was, I mean, there was no electricity, there's no fridges, there's no, no ovens, there's no... No. Mm. It was even, even to get produce was really difficult. Yes. Yeah. That food was running out, like... And I remember even coming down, there would, there'd be signs that say no fuel for the next 30 kilometres or whatever. So there was just that, that really early stages, it was just total kind of yeah. shut down yeah. of what was available. So, but I kind of came into it going, we're not going to have enough food. <laughs> like there's not going to be enough food. And, yeah. and then also with kind of that background, cause I did a lot of festival cooking. So I was like, okay, we're going to need bigger pots, Chels. <laughs> We're going to need <laughs> Not bigger baby pots. Not one. And one. we need to stream streamline this whole operation because yeah. um, there was just so much going on. Lots of people, children. It was just, I was going the WHS route. Yeah. Which I normally don't, <laughs> don't like that route, but it was like, you know, this is also a day like we could... We could put the tent on fire. We, someone could get hurt. Yeah. Um, that probably. So there was all that ticking along on top of trying to, you know, console a, com a community. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. this point was also when everyone was really in survival mode, adrenaline, um, like you said, can't even get groceries, can't yeah. get fuel, maybe sell to, like the 
phone reception still being down, the internet's down. Yeah. It was your whiteboard, really. It was that one. Yeah. It was whiteboard. It was, <laughs> we'd take a photo and then, you know, we'd just put it up, you know, this is what we need. Yeah. That was a. That actually was amazing. That, that whiteboard was like, you know, the best thing. Yeah, for our listeners at home, like that whiteboard, every day we'd take a photo of it and we'd write up on it, what do we need? And that could be bread, it could be milk, it could be generators, it could be whatever. And like you said, we did have people from Sydney and all kinds of places, like keeping updated on that and then driving all night and coming and, and, and bringing us things. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was <laughs> insane um, to, to be a part of it, to see it. Remember everyone pulling up? Just truck after truck, dropping off so many things and people everywhere. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. So tell me, how did, how did we go from that point and that meeting that really immediate need um, in that first, you know, week or two, although that immediacy really stretched far beyond that. Um, how did the Koori Kitchen evolve in those early weeks? Oh, I think um, we realised that, um, well, firstly, I can't cook dal, so <laughs> I showed up for the first day <laughs> with a big pot of chilli con carne um, and then realised how much everyone really wanted meat. <laughs> that, that was probably, <laughs> that, that, just, is, that was, was a true community-led decision because <laughs> yeah, community it was. literally said, we need protein. Yeah. Not what sausages, <laughs> particularly one individual. No, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and we were like, "Got to feed us meat. We've got to, we've got to get some meat happening. Yeah. We've got to, you know." Yeah, and I think when everyone's moving and lifting and and doing such heavy duty work, you do need also variety. You know, it's mm. about nutrition. It's about feeding people things that is going to. You want to be having a meal that you really can't wait to eat and not the same thing every day. So I think that's where we just, you were amazing because you're the menu planner. <laughs> so you would make it happen. You'd sit there and we'd, work out we'd what we'd do. We'd just work out what we need. And, and, uh, and actually we had a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of like the yoga community came down yeah, um, and would drop, you know, all these veggie meals as well. So it was, it was great. Yeah. We had it covered. Yeah. But it was, it was strategy, you know, it was, we really had to kind of work a plan and, and a strategy of how are we going to feed all these people? 2,000 plus And sometimes day. it was twice a day yeah. and sometimes it'd go into the evening, you know? So, and then when all, you know, everyone came up from interstate and then they also needed to be fed. So yeah. we were kind of just... Doubling and tripling. Well, and all the services numbers, too. All the services, there was yeah. nothing open. No. Yeah. Nothing open. I mean, I still remember the police coming down and coming down to get meals to then go out to different yeah. communities and things and bring them here. We weren't even just supplying, you know, people immediately in Lismo. You're also supplying the government funded services. That's yeah, we were. Because there wasn't anything, was there? No. Um, well, they had army packs of food and stuff, I remember, but it was things mob don't want to eat. Yeah, that's right. The only people that didn't ever eat anything was the army because I don't think they're allowed to accept food. 
So they were like adamantly like, we can't. And I'd go, just have a piece of cake. It's fine. You've been doing dishes for 10 hours. No, we're not allowed. <laughs> but then, you know, but that, the army came quite late in the game though. Yeah. Remember yeah. that was a, we were still. Yeah, yeah, they did. But they were great. I mean, it was like we had 10 on call every day for like weeks, weeks. remember? Well Which, after when the they second come, flood. Yeah, that was a good spot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we've gone from like getting most of the food by donations, people coming in, bringing pots of dal, and it starts to evolve to like, all right, what does the community actually want to eat? What's going to make them feel good? Because that's the other thing too, right? If you're in a disaster like this, you want to eat food that reminds you of home, that makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, how did you go from that to feeding 2,000 people? Wow. How did we... <laughs> It felt like it was overnight, didn't it? I, we we rearranged the kitchen. Remember, we 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 went in and planned it out. So there was a section. Um, we we made space because we were cramped in the corner, and we we knew we had to open it up a lot. So we firstly changed the way the flow worked within the kitchen because we did have so many people coming in and volunteering. So you needed to have a system in that sense, which yeah. you, you set up. And then we also had, we had to get a roster of volunteers as well mm. that would, would come and, and help and chop because at that stage, everything was still, we were chopping 20 kilo bags of onions. We were like prepping, you know, all the vegetables for the food and it was, you know, a long. Crossing our fingers that no <laughs> fingers would come off <laughs> with those blunt knives. <laughs> That's right. It was, oh, when I think about, <laughs> when I think about it now, um, but it was always done under the, we just felt like this is going to work out. Like the end of the day, yeah. it's going to work out because it was coming really from a place of like pure service yeah. to the community. And I think all the, the right people just kind of came on board and, yeah. and helped. Oh gosh, so many. But I was thinking too, just recently about in, in that disaster sense, like how do you, if this had to go on, you know, to another country that had a disaster, how would, how could we do this format again? I think we definitely improved some, some oh, changes. Yeah. Um, I think the kitchen tent was difficult, you know, yeah. I think we would have gone straight into a, um, a shipping container. That's yeah. movable because at that second flood, we actually had to move the shipping container fridge on a fire truck and had to go up on the hill. When we evacuated. When we evacuated. and Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was the second flood that happened a month after. That was the second one. Yeah. The initial one. And, and yeah, it looked like all the volunteers and the army, I remember, were helping then too. Yeah, That's right. Pack up the entire flood, the hub. <laughs> All the kitchen, just all I remember was people pulling up in vans and then just saying, what could we do to help? And then packing their vans, which was so amazing. But then we wouldn't know who they were. And I'd be watching <laughs> part of the kitchen go that way. And so then the, the other half go that one way. way and I'd go, stove. oh, well, it's going to okay, show yeah. up. It'll come back. <laughs> it always did. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing, that community effort. It was unbelievable. Always worked out 
you know, even at the last hour when you had to get out so quickly, because that was really, we got the call at two. Yeah. We had four hours to get an entire tent and kitchen and everything else that was in it out, didn't we? And yeah. all of your, all of the levels in the Kurimao. Yeah. All the donations yeah. and stuff too. To moved. So many. And at this point too, the kitchen was looking more like, like it, um, it wasn't what we said before with trestle tables and a couple of pots, like this time when you had to pack it up for that flood, that was a full proper kitchen set up with growing. shelves yeah. and yeah. yeah, ingredients and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot more, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, who were some of the the people that came in who supported, who helped this emerge? Because like we're saying, it was really response driven. There's no pre-thought like plan of how this was all mm. going to happen. It kind of evolved by the need of the people, right? Mm. Um, and just like with everything else with the Kurimao, nothing happened on its own in a silo. We were so supported by the rest of the community. Yeah. What did that look like for the Kuri Kitchen and who, who helped that to sort of help it emerge the way it did? Oh, we ha I, Our core crew were... Um, Part of the Kurimao um, team, like Noel and Wayne and Auntie Jackie and Nay used to hop in the kitchen too. Yeah. And even those <laughs> early days, I mean, we had Rowena. brother Wayne, he would be sleeping in the kitchen because there was still, yeah, you know, we needed security. There was still things going on and. Yeah, big shout out to Wayne because he was there all day and then would be sleeping there at night. And I remember at first he didn't even have a stretcher bed. No. He did have a TV. On a chair. <laughs> he had a TV. <laughs> and a oh. blankie. Even when we moved to the other, you know, on the car park, he was he was there too. That's right. In his, and know. often the generator would go out, remember? So yep. everything yep. would just go pitch black, you know, and you're in the middle of a car park. It's, it's, it was, I thought it was scary. <laughs> I'm sure Wayne did too at times. Yeah. He was really amazing to have done that because yeah. that, that meant there were no looters. Obviously, have, being a kitchen too, you needed to make sure, you know, people aren't coming in and just putting their hands through everything. So, yeah, yeah that was incredible. Thanks, Brother Wayne. <laughs> but what, a, I mean, you know, even I think by then too, word had gotten out at how, like how bad this, devastation this natural disaster was and um actually we should probably shout out um Pip and Wall. Pip and Wall. Who and funded Beck. us for quite some time through the GoFundMe if you you can Yeah, they were amazing. So they were a group of chefs that actually started even before we had. Um, and they were sending choppers and boats and all sorts of things to all the places that had been cut off, so Korokai and Woodburn and, and all the surrounding towns. Um, they banded together super fast and got a little production unit happening down at Bangalore where they were just using um, volunteers to make sandwiches, weren't they? Gourmet Initially. sandwiches, cakes. They were all chefs that were initiated it and then they put together a GoFundMe quite quickly, which um, was called the Food for Flood Relief Fund. Um, I think I've got that right. But, yeah, they, they then used that fund, which I think raised almost, you know, close to $180,000 to then um, provide food 
for all of the hubs. So it was operating like kitchens, so proper commercial kitchens where we would get to the end of the day, we'd put our orders through and then um, it would all go on to their bill, which was incredible. But what was crazy, we had never met them and they were kind (laughs) of operating this, you know, they they were operating this, their little show and we were operating ours and they came and visited and, and they're like, wow, like this is amazing because we're doing a similar thing. Um, but, and we'd like to help you. And it it was like, it was like an angel. Angels had literally come and said, we want to help you. What can we do? Mm. We can fund you. What do you need? And it was just like, oh my gosh. Because the food was the hardest. Keeping up the food resources on that scale was really difficult, relying on um, donations and things like that because you need some consistency as well. You can't, you can't accept meat, food that's been cooked outside of the kitchen, yeah. you know, things that you have to sort of consider. So it was just like we both turned around and really burst into tears <laughs> when we walked in and went, can we help you? We were like, ah, <laughs> like, yes. yes. <laughs> because, you know, the community was so vulnerable too. And a lot of the time with food, it was best that we, we could kind of have a bit of control over where it was being cooked. You know, was it, you know, done, you know, to standard. Yeah, because you don't want to be making anyone sicker. No. No, that's it. We were like so, so concerned about yeah. a community that was already vulnerable. and We only had chefs really in the end that were doing that at home um, kind of yeah. donation cooking because we knew who they were. We knew um, they would bring in their chef friends so they'd use their base camp but then they'd bring the food to us once it was done. So we knew that it was being handled in a way that was to standards and, um, yeah. We have to shout out the the HOSPO world. If you ever have a disaster, the HOSPO world is your key because at the end of the day, they're the ones that, you know, love love to nurture through food and love to heal through food and, you know, food is, their gem. Yeah. So that everyone, even the restaurants in Byron reached yeah, out, the bakeries reached out. Like it was really crazy. Even TAFE here reached out, you know, they, they cooked for us for a while as well. So everyone was offering their space and it was just, ama- it was amazing. But the hospitality world for this region really stepped up. What did it mean to you both to nurture people through food during a time like this? It's probably the highlight of my, my career, <laughs> <Mine> too. <laughs> this Same. type of cooking. Um, for me, I'll never forget. Sometimes people just come in and they take some food and then they just look at you and they'd be like, can I have a hug? You know, just... Mm simple things like that or they'd come and get the food and just cry and I think we became more than just a food you know someone people providing it was the fact that we had um we were consistent in what we did they Mm. knew that they could get food there they knew we'd be open we knew we're there serving for community it was just some sort of consistency where around them there was none the whole world was just kind of gone. Yeah. So, and that was all, all walks of life, wasn't it? It, yeah, was, it was, I mean, it was 
the homeless. It was, um, it was the community that we were in. It was, um, everywhere, the surrounding areas, whoever needed it. Kurimao opened their arms to everyone, which I think is something important to mention. It was initially um, set up for their own community and in the end, what we heard anyway was that, you know, they were getting turned back at different um, different places because they needed a bed or they needed something and they weren't able to get them. And then the minute they'd walk into the hub here, they were welcomed with absolute open arms and... I think that was a really, really common thread, like we heard all along the way, wasn't it? Mm. And um, yeah, it was It was really beautiful to be working amongst such an awesome, awesome bunch of humans. Yeah. <laughs> and also the people really... that, what also that were flooded that came and volunteered because it made them, um, their mental health, you know, get better because they were so traumatized. So to give back to their own community actually helped them, which was amazing. So here they are working in the kitchen and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. Because, you know, it's interesting. There's that, there's like a, definitely a volunteer timeline because firstly <laughs> it was everyone, you know, from external Bangalore, Byron, Ocean Shores, Gold Coast, Brisbane. And as it got longer and, and, and more detailed, I knew we'd probably did a little turnaround when all of a sudden locals who we'd been feeding were like, I want to come and I want to hey, come and volunteer. How are you? Oh. Did you hear us talking about you? We were talking about you. We were bigging you up. In your, <laughs> sleeping on your stretcher bed. I swear all Korean, <laughs> we're, we're all like, like <laughs> someone's here. We're spidey all like, senses. yeah, spidey senses. You want to jump on the mic? Yeah. So we got a lovely surprise by Brother Wayne. Welcome. Well, good, thank you. Where's our cake? <laughs> I heard he bought cakes for one of the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm shy. Where did we? Where, we? where were we? <laughs> what were we saying? Oh. We were the talking volunteers. about the volunteers. Yeah, yeah. and as, as we kind of moved, yeah. moved moved further on, it was more like locals were coming back and wanting to donate their time. And and then it was pretty much well, everyone from Lismore towards the end. It was all the staff. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then we put key crew on for, that were locals pretty much yeah. and um, from the Koori Mail crew. Which was awesome. So it was like a consistent, it was hard to manage for such a long period of time without having a set crew because as you can imagine, you come in each day and then systems, things have been moved or, you know, if you're not familiar with the kitchen and the way it rolls, it's really hard to keep going over that every single day after more than six months. So it had to operate in the end like a commercial kitchen and we got funding like and were able to um, facilitate that in the end, weren't we? The kitchen also became like a real well-being space yeah. for people too, right? Because I remember everybody, you know, it was like a meeting place. You could come, you knew you could get a feed, but then you could also yarn with other people. Like you knew you were people came and they stayed for a while and they knew that that was somewhere that they could go. Yeah. It really became a culturally safe space for people 
um, to sit on the balcony. And the great thing to see for us, I think, was all of the different um, walks of life come together because I think a lot of people had not crossed paths before. So it was quite amazing to see new friendships being formed out of such a traumatic time. Um, and, you know, people that were sitting up there, remember, and they'd just be chatting away to each other or playing on their clay because every Thursday the, the, the healing hub, healing hub would come really. down and they'd do the clay circle and you'd see, you know, everyone from the balcony just sitting along this massive table making a clay sculpture, I guess you could say, mm. and just talking to each other. And that was just like sometimes you'd get tears in your eyes because yeah, it was so was touching. And you're also linking with the with the wellbeing team too, right? Because I remember you were sending meals out to people who were still vulnerable in their homes and maybe aren't able to access the hub. Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of deliveries. There was a lot of deliveries. Yeah. A huge Even in the early component. days, drivers. Yeah. So what regions were you feeding? Every surrounding region <laughs> <laughs> that was affected by flood. Well, definitely it was, was Karakai was... Well, we were sending stuff out to Korokai at one yeah. point. Um, Once they got set up, we weren't. I think they got set up with their hub and their their kitchens and then that was they were ready to roll in their own area. But, no, right up until the end, we were still doing a lot of stuff actually to support them. So we were doing, like a volunteer would come every Friday and we'd do 100 meals and we'd send them with her... So that could just bulk up the kitchen, Damn. you know, wherever they were. I think it was Korokai. There mm. were a few different ones. There were so many deliveries. Our board was just full of um, deliveries. And every week what we did was they'd get a hot meal every day, but then they would have um, fresh fruit and veg that was um, donated, put into boxes, and then that would get delivered twice mm. a week. So they'd get Monday and Friday and subject how many were in the families. So, yeah, they were able to have vegetables and, and dry, dry goods if we had them, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was, there was all that as well. <laughs> it was fresh produce and dry goods. <laughs> yeah, wow. And hot meals. And hot meals. And water. Yeah. <laughs> and music. Curry coals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And who else made it possible for this to happen? Because like you were saying, at some point we can't rely on the donations anymore coming from community. You know, there, there is a sort of tipping point where those donations from outside start to... Dwindle. Yeah, dwindle and drop off. Um, Who helped you to, yeah, get funding and really be there for all those months? We set it up um, knowing we weren't in a legal capacity to accept any donations initially because I'd read the Not-for-Profit Law Act pretty much from front to back at about midnight when I got home after being in the kitchen all day and realised, wow, okay, this is way bigger than I thought. You need to have this whole structure set. So I remember talking to Janelle Safin, who then advised us to have an auspice. Yeah. And at that point it was around May or June and we approached Tribal Warrior, who were, Uncle Shane was a legend. We'd worked with him already at the hub and um, they basically... He came up and donated a lot of time. Yeah. Oh, he was here for weeks, remember? And an amazing, I think, mentor as well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
mentored in that whole all the way world. through and they're still supporting us so the thing is once you do um any kind of funding or grant situation and we had people incredible grant writers like volunteer their time to actually yeah. help because we had no time and it's a whole other world we got our grants that way which was amazing um and then the the company that auspices you like tribal warrior then support you all the way through it because they basically then manage all the money for you so it's a pretty massive thing and I think um, I owe them or we all owe them a massive thank you because they just um, really, so really supported us so much. It, it was literally like basics 101, like how do we start? <laughs> how do we start a non-prof? Yeah. How do you, you know, how do you... Oh, and then we ended up getting, remember we got the, so Baker McKenzie became our pro bono lawyers. So I basically went on the not-for-profit law site and applied for some pro bono legal advice. And then they just came back and said, hey, we'd love to help you. And they were amazing. So they guided us all through as well with regards to anything that was legal and setting it up in the right way and yeah, I think if it had have kept going, we would have had the capacity to set it up in that, um, you know, with its own status. But it was just one thing, you know, it's such a big, big thing. commitment and, and to have to set up whilst you're running at the same yeah, time. You're yeah, dealing with just exhaustion as well and, you know, mm. it's a long time. And we were able to get shit done because we didn't have regulations, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it. the only way to get things. <laughs> well, that's right. It was like, God, how did... And that's the thing I think I realised out of all of this was, you know, you can't be... a bi Like, the whole rule system can't be the same when there's a disaster response scenario because you have to just move at the pace of lightning, Quick. basically. Yeah. And if you can't, and you can't sign things off quickly, then it's just lags the people on the ground that are actually there doing everything. And it's really, That's really true. difficult. Yeah. 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 And everything kind of happened moment to moment, right? Because it's not like, even when we're going back, it's like we're looking retrospectively because none of this was planned. No, you don't get no. time to even think, do you really? It's just so... We'd literally get up, drive cook, get back in the car, <laughs> go home and sleep, <laughs> get up again. Diesel, And then, diesel. well, no, we'd meet. I'd, you know, Charles would text me at one in the morning. Do you think we have enough funds to, to, to get that? <laughs> we, we, worrying. Worrying. Are we, you know, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot to take in, but. Yeah. It, it did all, it came together. Looking back at the time, I think it was just. I think we we cried one time like for a solid week. I oh, yeah. We were like so emotional. Thankfully not at the same time. No. We took turns. <laughs> I'd always find Brother Wang because like, he'd make me feel grounded. So I'd like try and just hang around people who made me feel like yeah. grounded. Yeah. We wouldn't have been able to do it without all. Like we did it as a community you with did. these guys yeah. and that's I think something – you know, not even though we were part of um, setting up systems, we never ran it like we were bosses. We all did a lateral, like all in, let's do it together. This is a team, wasn't it? 
And that's why it worked. It's, it's really that disaster relief time, whether it's food or, you know, what you're doing, it, you kind of have these really close bonds. And I think no one ever talks about once it's finished and all the post stuff. Mm. It's like really quite difficult to kind of, cause you've gone through something really intense with people, which become like family. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, it comes to an end and you just, it's kind of like, what? How did it feel for you when it was over? Devastating. Yeah, same. It was really hard. I found it hard to be back in the real world, to be honest with you. Mm. I found myself very out of place because I was like just always thinking of the people that we had been helping and going, oh, my gosh. You know, you can't get yourself out of that space. It was difficult to be, you know... When I had to do work or go back to Sydney, it was really hard. I found it difficult. And also not being with our family, it was so hard because every day for the last year, we were there no matter what, just by each other's side, you know, helping. Eight, ten hour days, just serving community and laughing and crying and and laughing and crying. (laughs) You know, so that post stuff is really... No one ever talks about that, but it's, you know, you can really, can dip. Yeah. It's like coming off a, a low. When did the tent come down? I think it was, was it February? It was, wasn't it? So a year later. Yeah. Yeah. And the tent didn't come down because the need wasn't there anymore, right? No, it came down because... Um, Logistically, they asked us to move the council. Yeah, I think we were all exhausted at the time too, probably. Mm. But yeah, we we wanted to carry it on but had no mental capacity to actually come up with a solution ourselves because we were just so exhausted by that point. And And emotionally drained. and Yeah. We just needed someone to come in and go, okay, so you need to move from the car park but we've found you a new spot and this is where you're going to go. But, you know, along with that comes then sourcing more funds and, um, you know, that that is a whole job in itself and then you've got all the others to go with it. So it's, it, it is a big deal. It would have been nice to carry on though. What do you all hear from the community now about the way people are living here in Lismore, what their housing situation is like? Well, you know, I, after... Curry Kitchen, I moved into the wellbeing space. Um, so we do a lot of post at Rekindling Spirit. So we do a lot of post flood support work. So we're still supporting um, Lismore pods. Um, and now we also help out at Korokai. So I know at Korokai is still a huge need for um, support out there. I mean, there's 75 children that are out there in the pods. Um, and so there's been so much disruption with COVID, flood. So there's also issues with schooling. And then with the Lismore pods coming in to um, now over a year is mm. all the mental, you know, the, the w- mental well-being that everyone's had time to kind of think and process what 
what's what's kind of happening and what support is there. So there's still a lot of support in community, regardless of just people still living in, you know, in pods. You know, it's not where it was. So um, I'm remembering back eight months ago or, or something like that, Lukuri Kitchen was all set up and the World Central Kitchen came to town. They did. <laughs> Can you tell us a little about that? So we had this um, email, I think, that World Central Kitchen, if anyone is known, is a US charity. And this was still early days. And a, and, a, and, a, and a big charity, um, the chef there, Chef Jose Andreas, does a lot of food relief in um, places that have had natural disasters or war zones. Um, so they, they had heard about what happened in Lismore as one of the most extensive natural disasters in Australia and reached out to um, Dora, who, mm. who um, was in Sydney and she came up and helped. Um, and they basically said to us, we've got a chef from LA coming. We got a chef from LA coming. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> from Mexico. She? Yeah. And she's coming to Lismore. So get ready. She's going <laughs> to come and help. And we're like, so at that point we were like, thank God. Cause we were still really drained and fatigued and, and she, and actually well central kitchen, um, for a little while just funded um, our kitchen and got us equipment that we needed and really helped us put our systems in place. So, and I think with all that experience that they had in war zones, um, the chef who, who did come out, Elsa, had just done a stint in Ethiopia and was cooking in massive clay pots for thousands of people. So she was really just what we needed yeah because there's no rule book really you know I mean I know the army have one because we saw their setup when they came but we didn't have access to it (laughs) (laughs) they were feeding thousands of people (laughs) but um, but there's no you know we were literally we're like moms who just wanted to help I mean at the end of the day we were like you know we wanted to do something and yeah and we just kind of took it on board to to do that yeah, that was great that they came in actually because those systems we kept until the end. It was perfect because we really did, you know, with so much going on and it's moving so fast, I think as much as you try and put things in place, um, it's so great always, as we all know, no matter what you do, learning a new way of doing things and and these systems they'd worked with for, for you know, yes. one job after the other mm. that were really beneficial. So... Thank you, World Central Kitchen. (laughs) It was a pinnacle point for us too because we were running out of um, food and funds and we were were contemplating how we're going to continue and there was still such a huge demand. Yeah, and still no government support or anything like that. So our first support was international. How long was it until government support came? Um, I think it was in, you know, towards the end of June... Where we just shut the shop and said, we actually now have used our own money and (laughs) (laughs) we can't, our friends have used their fund and now World Central's Kitchen's come in and the Koori Mail have been amazing and supported us in all the ways that, like that generator, that was, 
unbelievable because that costs a fortune to run. The refrigerator. The refrigeration, you know, all these small things that you don't think about that all play a key role in um, bringing that kitchen together, you know, um, including the manpower and the people, I think then was us having to shut to say we actually can't keep going. Um, and then it would have been late June that um, we did get some government funding through state government and then Aboriginal Affairs were amazing. They were always very big supporters of um, the community and, and what the kitchen was doing, which was great. Um, and then we got, from there it was DCJ. Yeah. And they were fantastic. So that was like the last... Um, larger pool of money that I think um, was offered up to lots of community hubs here and, and um, I think their support throughout the way was really great actually. So I'd love to know from all of you, Brother Wayne included, favourite moments. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the mic now, you're going to get asked. Um, favourite moments from... This is really hard. The Courier Kitchen. Uh, mine would be Sister Sandra. You knew every every day there was going to be something different. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> she used to crack me up. <laughs> yeah. All of uh, us. Yeah. And this is what you were talking about before, Chelsea, with the like people from all different walks of life, people that yeah. you know, more may not otherwise be talking to and meeting. Yeah. She's an angel. Do you know what? Too. What's crazy is. Not once did we, you know, people were like, oh, Lismore, it's dangerous. And we never felt like. Never. Because we knew everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we knew everyone who yeah. was, you know, sleeping well, rough. To... <laughs> and everyone looked out for us. Do you remember? Like, obviously, Brother Wayne and Brother Noel were always there. They were amazing. Like, that was, that was helpful. Let's face it. Without them, I may have felt scared. <laughs> But oh, maybe not, because actually, in the end, lots of the <laughs> lots of the crew that were, whether they were homeless or whatever, the people from the community, um, far and few between, they all ended up coming in, and they'd be like, "What can I help you with? Can I get that shopping? Can I get that thing out? I'll help you set up the chairs." And and so it was this whole um, team in the end, with help from the community themselves. And all the aunties would come in all the time and help us. And we had families in there. It was just brilliant. So no, never felt scared. No. Chelsea and I were driving and we needed the help of the army to just take food. They were going to help, like oh, they were yeah. chopping. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> Actually, you should tell that story because that's... No, you tell it. <laughs> so we're driving down and it's pouring rain and Chelsea's like, I've got, I've got Sergeant something's number. I'll see if he can help us. And we were like, we, we just needed the army. We needed people to come and help us move stuff. And as Chelsea calls him and asks him to help, I started playing salt and pepper, what a man, what a man. And he heard that. And I think he was moved by the fact that we're like, that song's about you, dude. Come and help us. And they did. Brilliant. They came and met us and they had like like a whole battalion of men ready to move stuff for us. And Tulsa went in there. She's like, you do this now. You've got to do that. Move that over there. 
Did you just play the song on the boombox to keep them going? And, and he actually said, are you playing salt and pepper? <laughs> Just like, yes, yes, we need you. Did it work? Did it yes, work? it worked. <laughs> Because Izzy's not just a chef, she's also <laughs> a, DJ. a DJ. DJ Izzy in the house. <laughs> that just came together perfectly. We got the help, the song was played. That was brilliant, I forgot about that. Because amongst the devastation, there was a lot of joy still. There was, it and was. I think that's something we definitely tried to maintain in the kitchen, wasn't it? Which And for you guys too, like, it's so important to have that morale high um, we ha- we brought music too, didn't we? Like oh, yeah. <laughs> we had Curry Kitchen R&B, Curry Kitchen Chill, Curry Kitchen Blues. We had our Spotify with play- playlist. Oh. Karaoke. <laughs> it was laugh every day, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had a couple of flood loves happening. Oh, flood oh, loves! Oh, yes. <laughs> That's right, there was too. No weddings or anything? No. Not at this stage. No weddings. (laughs) No. Probably some divorces. (laughs) Who knows? New romances. (laughs) New romances happen. A baby. I'm sure. A baby happened. Yay. Yeah, flood baby baby came into it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of joy amongst the chaos, eh? Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share that you want to say? I'd just like to thank everyone who took part in Curry Kitchen and gave their time or their pots or their, you know, donated food, food because um, it was a really special time, I think, for us and for us to be able, it was an honour and a privilege to feed community. Yeah, and walking away proud of knowing what we did have, what we did do, you know, and what we achieved through the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's the thing is, until people came or did, if they didn't volunteer and come down and have that first-hand experience, it's really hard to ever explain to anyone unless you have that instant connection that we got every single day with your customers or your people and your community where you saw the need and you saw their heart and you felt their, their pain and their happiness at times. And I think that that's a true testament. I think it's important. Maybe all companies should offer their services to go and volunteer in places that are part of their community because it does actually connect you to the people. And there was a few businesses who did do that and sort of get let, let their employees come and there was actually. volunteer. Like shout out to Norco because they were there still, you know, six months later some of their staff were coming out and they were getting paid to come and volunteer with us. Oh. And we thought, what, like, yeah, why aren't there more? Why isn't there more of this Yeah, from businesses in the region? That is a amazing way that they can support because you do get burnt out when you're volunteering. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you do. Especially when it's unpaid for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last question to you all is, um, what does custodial care mean to you? What does it mean to care for your community? For me, Koori Kitchen, like I said, it's the first time I felt deeply connected to a community and so proud to be a part of this community that I got a job where I could work in community <laughs> <laughs> because 
I mean, community's everything really. It's like, it's like you're, um, you're rudderless without it because I think community will, will lead you correctly to where you're meant to go or meant to be. And, um, I don't know, I think that's really, for me, it's really important to make sure that community is part of the conversation of anything that we do and any decision that we make for everyone. I was at um, Timber and they had a, um, a gentleman from Native American from Canada and he said that uh, before they make any decision, they always check with community and they look like seven years past and they look at where they are right now and then they look, how's, how is this going to affect community seven years into the future? So they're always making sure that um, you know, it's always, you know, a part of moving forward. Yeah, because none of this could have happened without community, literally none of it. No. And yet a lot of it happened without government support. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a, yeah. It was the community that held it together, really. Um, the thread that kept it going and I think that's – that shows the um, amazing, you know, the capacity that people have to actually give back to their own community. And it's just such a warming thing to be a part of because you just, I think before this, none of us realised um, how this would be. I think even, you know, you just can't fathom how many people actually put their hands up to come down to help, but also the community that, that, is here that just ongoingly committed to standing up every day and saying, I'm going to actually help everyone that's in need. And they, w they were in need for so long. So it was just so great to see that um, everyone banded together to do that. Mm. Yeah, caring and sharing and respecting yeah. any individual, no matter what walk of life they're from. That's right. Yeah, just being there and just supportive. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you all for your care and your dedication and your time and for sharing your stories and Brother Wayne for coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Um, thank yeah, you for thank having you so us. much. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you did yeah. too during that. Yeah, just like to thank you and Ella for all the hard work that you just put into. Yeah. It's amazing. Love you, sister. Love you. Love you. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Healthy North Coast, for supporting us to put together these stories so that we may share our experiences with all our community across this nation.